Welcome to My Fertility Journey, Life Chats with Bianca Bullissian. Hello everyone and welcome back to the show. Today's chat was with Lane Corp, a pelvic health physio from Ontario, Canada. Lane was one of my students in the Stop Pilates mat course this year, and she had so much great input during the course from her experience and such an amazing approach towards the lack of attention to female reproductive health in the system and overall pelvic floor awareness. So I knew from the chats that we were having on our breaks that I just had to have her on the show. This group of students that I had was hilarious. It was a group of three women and we just talked about everything. I am not kidding you. It just escalated the topics of conversation each weekend. The first weekend we chatted about our periods. Lane shared she had endometriosis. Another student shared how her very heavy flow was affecting her work because she works in a very male-biased environment. That was super eye-opening for me, because I've always worked in female-biased places. I was a dancer, and then I became a Pilates instructor, so it never really came to to my attention on like how women can suffer if they're in an environment with not a lot of female presence. The second weekend I arrived and two of them were talking about sex, obviously, Um, how uh, one of them hadn't had sex in a while and she had all this energy bottled up and then finally released. It was just like so funny, but just these people literally just met each other and they were talking about openly about these personal things. It was just really inspiring. The last weekend, it escalated to talking about how masturbation can help during the period with cramps, and that's where I drew the line, and I'm like, okay, guys, we need to go back into the Pilates game, otherwise we're just going to ditch our manuals and end up like in a bar or something. (laughs) So um, all jokes aside, you know, it was really cool to see these women that were so confident, so comfortable in their own skin. They were so open in talking about these issues that a lot of the times are taboo or they're not openly talked about because of shame or embarrassment. I am so grateful for the serendipity that put us all in this room together because more and more I realize that these conversations that we are embarrassed or ashamed of having are the ones that need to happen the most. Especially if we want to change the way the system works in the realm of reproductive health. Especially female reproductive health. And if we want equality in the treatment for BIPOC community versus white community. If we want our children to grow up knowing their bodies and not being ashamed of it. So in this chat, we talked a lot about pelvic floor. And I wanted to preamble it with some information from a Pilates instructor's perspective. And if you have any, really any questions or concerns about any of this, please feel free to contact me or Lane and we'll help you trace a path back to health for you. 
So yes, the pelvic floor. It's a fascinating muscle on the bottom part of your pelvic bowl that connects the front, sides, and back of your pelvis. Lane goes into a bit more detail about it, so for now, I wanted to cover two things. The first one is about how the pelvic floor helps you connect your deep core wall. So your deepest core muscle called your transversus abdominis is like a belt that goes from the back of your spine to the front of your tummy. And the combination of the connection between the pelvic floor and your transverses helps create this stability around your spine that therefore helps avoid back pain. But, you know, there's always a but, it doesn't always work as it's supposed to. So for whatever reason, it could be a structural problem, an accident, sexual trauma, birth, excessive stress, a poor healing of whatever trauma you had on your pelvic floor, it can create an overactive or underactive muscle. So then the connection with the deep abdominal wall will not be as optimal as it should be. Therefore, your spinal stability won't be either, and it will be compromised. The other very interesting thing that's not talked about as often is the connection between the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, which is your primary respiratory muscle, and therefore your breath. So if you can just entertain me here for a second... If you have your hands free, so just be careful if you're driving, place one hand on your chest and one hand on your belly. Try to notice where your breath is. Is it up on your chest? Is it lower down on your rib cage? Or is it further down on your belly? If your breath is up high, on your upper chest and your shoulders, your diaphragm is most probably not dropping when you inhale as it should be. And because your pelvic floor's natural movement is connected to your diaphragm's natural movement, your pelvic floor is probably not dropping either. And this goes for men and women. So don't be fooled thinking that Pelvic floor and pelvic health issues are just for women. So if you're stressed, if you are a go-go-go type person that just never cools down, if you suffer from anxiety, or if you're just straight up scared of taking a deep breath because you think you might just lose your shit, guess what? Your pelvic floor is most probably as tight as your heart is right now. And it's not letting go. That can cause all the different types of issues that we explored in this conversation with Lane. And it will eventually catch up with you if it hasn't already. Lane talked a lot about tightness versus weakness, which is something that people are not aware of. So please, 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 if you relate to anything that me and Lane talk about in this chat, contact any professional that you trust and vibe with. It doesn't have to be us, but 
look for help because it is worth it and it will improve your quality of life. It's never too early or too late to address these issues. And if you know anyone that you think might need to hear this, do them a service and pass it along. And now, I hope you enjoy this very friendly chat with the wonderful Lane Corp. Hello, Lane. Welcome to the show. It is so nice to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bianca, for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes, I have been super excited to sit and chat with you since our last encounter. So Lane was one of my um, Pilates students on the Stop Pilates course in Coburg, Ontario. And I was, it was such a fun group. Like we talked about everything every day in that group. It was a fun little bunch. It was also my first like group and um, trip since we locked down on COVID. So it was just everything sort of culminated into that course. And it was um, really exciting. And I was so happy to meet you. And I remember from the first day when you shared that you were a uh, pelvic health um, physio that I was it was already like in the back of my mind I'm like that that's maybe someone that I could interview for my podcast and then here you are so thank you so much and I would like you to start just sharing a bit about your story and becoming a physio and then how you came into this world of being a pelvic health specialist sure so um yeah, first of all, that Stop Pilates course was amazing. That was so much fun. And the group of us, it was perfect. It was like, no one's holding anything back. Let's talk all things women. Like, it was awesome. I loved it. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to be a physio for a long time. Like, ever since I was in high school, I was heavily involved in all sorts of sports. And um, high-level soccer and um I was always active. So it was like a sports physio thing I was going into. I'm going to be a sports physio. Um, and I ended up going to Scotland to get my master's in physio and started off in orthopedics. So that's more like, you know, your knees, your backs, your ankles, um, sports kind of focused. Yes. And then from there, I focused in neurophysio, which we dealt with a lot more spinal cord injury, stroke patients, etc. Um, which really start started getting me into looking at people a lot more holistically. So you're not just a knee or an ankle connected to the rest of your body. It all moves together. And it's really important to see those connections because an issue in one area really affects another, um, as we'll talk about. I'm sure we'll get into that. Yes. Um, but I started my pelvic physio experience, I think a lot later than I probably should have, but, um, it was following the birth of my two kids. So I had my own issues with it and it really just sparked an interest. It was, there was a gap in treatment for a lot of things. And like I said, I wish that I had gone to pelvic physio before I had kids because I had a host of other issues back then. Um, but yeah, it really, um, pushed me into supporting other women in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. There is such a big gap 
So what were what were the struggles that you felt on your body after your your kids that that made you think this is something that needs to to be addressed? How was and also like if you were looking for for treatment and who you worked with and how how was that experience as a patient as well? Right. So I didn't actually know that someone could like being a physio myself, which is funny. Like I had heard that pelvic physios existed, but I guess I didn't really understand what that meant. And I went to physio primarily because I was having extremely, extremely painful sex after having my first. And I don't even know if I'd call it painful sex because we were like basically unable to have sex. It was so bad. I had talked to one of my girlfriends about it, which is, you know, a sensitive subject, but I was able to finally admit, like, listen, like, it's been months and I'm not able to. I want to, but I'm not able to just because it's so painful. And I feel like because I tore during birth, like, maybe that's what the problem is. Maybe I have residual, maybe I'm going to tear back open. Like, it was kind of, I had a very poor healing phase. Um, So I was worried the whole time, like, oh, this is going to tear back open or there's an issue or it's not healed properly. Um, And she basically had said to me, you need to go see a pelvic physio. And she was seeing one at the time and she recommended her to me. It's holistic health physio, which is Anita Lambert, who's amazing. And I went into it with the expectation that, listen, I'm not doing an internal with this person. I'm just going to talk to her about my symptoms. She's not going to be able to help because all pelvic physios help with is incontinence. And that's not my problem. Mm. And that's not at all how it went. And actually at the end of that day, I ended up having an internal She did follow up with me in email, but we actually didn't have any follow-up appointments. And I was able to have enough tools in my toolbox after seeing her that I was able to slowly get into that relaxation of my pelvic floor because that was my issue personally. Mm -hmm. And I was able to have sex again, pain-free. It took some time, but it was, like I said, it was, you know, that's not a typical story. I'm sure not everybody goes once, but... There's so much that you don't know that's going on down there. Like as, even as a physio myself, I didn't know. And she, she'd even asked me, do does it feel deep or does it feel superficial? I'm like, oh, it's definitely superficial. It's definitely my scar ripping open. And then when she was examining me, she was like, no, it's your muscles. Like it's deeper. Wow. Yeah. So it was uh, quite enlightening. I was actually really surprised because as an athlete, I was someone who's very in tune with my body, or at least I thought I was. And um, yeah, I definitely needed help. For yeah, sure. we just don't have that the education and the stimulation from society and school and even like inside our homes as we're growing up as um, girls and young adults to to have that contact right? right with like knowing where your pelvic floor is and what it does and how it's supposed to work and if there is something wrong that you can share and there are people that can help you like there's no information out there or if there is it's like so hidden that it will say it's getting better for sure it's oh, definitely good. getting better in my opinion but i'm also in this in the field right so true um in my opinion it is getting better but it, it's something that like no one, just everyone just didn't want to talk about. And for me personally, I thought I just need to work through this on my own. It's just going to be painful and I just have to get through it. And eventually maybe it'll be better. But it was at the point where it wasn't even happening. Like we weren't even able to have penetration because it was so painful. And I was like, how am I going to get there? I don't know. Yeah. But I guess what is she going to be able to help me with? What is she going to be able to tell me that I don't already know? But a lot, yes. apparently. <laughs> 
<laughs> as you learned yeah, yeah. these, these preconceptions that we have too right going into a oh, situation yeah. like this yeah yeah for sure because I've I've done internal work too with an osteopath mm. that that did it and it was really helpful for my SI joint to right. like release some of the muscles and ligaments that were really tight once one side is tight the other one side is lax so she was able to to help me with that it's definitely a strange thing in the beginning but you do um it it is helpful and it does change a lot of how you perceive right your right. your sexual like parts and areas etc um for sure so i would like to um i would like you to share like what is the type of work that you do with with when women come for you for this so like what techniques do you do broadly it doesn't have to be like very um technical just so we have an idea of what what a patient would be stepping into when they come to see you um or even like what type of questions you ask them you know when they're coming in and also what types of issues that you that you deal with to, so sure. people can think, oh, I have that. And I never thought that uh, a pelvic physio could help me. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll try and summarize as best I can. So um, first, we take a super in-depth, extensive subjective history. So when did you start your period? Like we start way back to when did you start your period? What was it like then? What are your current symptoms? But what is something that you dealt with a few years ago, we look into if that happened at a time maybe or shortly after you went through some trauma and trauma can mean a lot of different things to different people. Um, I know one person who had an accident boating and she was tubing and she ended up ripping her um, growing part of her bathing suit off and had a bit of a, a scrape there, but it was embarrassing for her because there was other people in the boat. She had some bleeding, obviously, and it was hard to like conceal it to get out of the water. And that to her was trauma. So it doesn't have to be just sexual trauma, emotional trauma, that kind of thing. But we go through all those types of things. If you've had children, we talk about what your pregnancy experiences were like and what your births were like and any subsequent symptoms that you've had since then. Yeah. So any, a lot of times we deal with athletes who haven't had any kids. So if they have a lot of intra-abdominal pressure, it can cause incontinence. So incontinence means anything from urine to gas to stool and any kind of queefing or air in the vagina, stuff like that we can speak about. Urgency incontinence is another thing that we talk about. So you have to go to the bathroom and you have to go now. In addition to that, in addition to all the incontinence stuff, Obviously, we deal with things like pelvic or organ prolapse, which can happen at any point in your life. And pain is the last one. So pain is a very blanket term, but that can be pain in your clitoris, pain with intercourse, pain around your anus, pain in your abdomen, painful periods, bladder pain, the list goes on and on and on. So there's a bunch of different things that we can look at with that. And Usually what we first do is a full physical assessment externally. What we call an external assessment is just a normal physio assessment. So it'd be like looking at your, your movements and looking at your muscles, your length, um, how you perform certain tasks, that kind of thing. And then if it's warranted, we'll have an internal pelvic assessment. So during that, um, obviously you can withdraw your consent at any point during that assessment, but we go through the risks and the benefits of doing that type of assessment and treatment. Um, the actual treatment looks like 
you're on a normal physio bed with sheets um, and towels and things, and you undress from the waist down. You then we'll look at the external muscles. So we'll start looking at your lower abs. We'll look at different muscles around your inner thighs, your adductors specifically um, are a big player in pelvic pain and tightness. And then one finger or two fingers will be inserted into the vagina and there are three layers of muscles. So at different depths, we can feel what different muscles are doing. We'll ask you to do a, what a lot of people refer to as a Kegel type exercise. So when you're lifting the pelvic floor, and we'll see how you can release that at the same time. If there's any residual tightness, we'll have a look into that. And then there are a group of muscles that can only be assessed through the rectum. So it would be one finger into the rectum where we'd feel certain muscles to check their strength, tensibility, all that kind of stuff. And so from there, what we do is develop a treatment plan um, as to what you need. So is it strengthening? Is it lengthening? Is it relaxation type strategies? It might be, you know, your normal type physio exercises that you see, but with a pelvic component as well. Okay. Yeah. Sense. Yeah, totally. Do you send um, people with homework to do at home? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do they do homework? Is it just they're like thinking and feeling things? Do they do internal work themselves as well? You can do either. So it depends on the person okay. and what they're needing. But yeah, so I've definitely sent people home with a, they're like, well, how do I know for sure? You can put your finger in there. Like that's part of, so lay on your back, get comfortable. You can partially insert a finger and then try and do your exercises and see what's happening. Then usually what happens is you create that awareness that you know whether you're relaxed or whether you're not. And once you create that connection, then you're off to the races. And you can do that at any point, any time, which is great for any kind of pelvic health. Strengthening or lengthening is usually you can do it at any point in the day. It's better to do them more often than doing like a hour-long session. Yes. Um, but yeah, like because you want them to be part of your everyday life. It's not supposed to be like a specific muscle group that you're trying to atrophy or, yeah. or strengthen. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, strengthen, lengthen, get in contact with, yeah. The Stop Pilates principles, we teach pelvic floor and transverses engagement, right? To get the pelvic floor to help the deep core for um, spinal stability and pelvic stability on the lumbopelvic region. That's what we talk about there, mm -hmm. right? We yeah. don't go too much into it. Um, but beyond that, which is what what you would do, but it's very interesting how um, when we're teaching that even at a more like very superficial, just workout level, how much it like so many light bulbs light up and people are like, oh my God, I've never done this before. I've never felt this connection before. And then you have people that um, have issues with it. And then they start understanding like, oh, like it doesn't connect as well as it should and things like that. And then yeah, totally. we also have, yeah, with the clients, we also have like little homeworks. And I tell my clients, I'm like if you're doing like a pelvic floor activation or just feeling your pelvic floor as you're sitting on the subway, for example, or standing, no one's going to know. <laughs> so you exactly, can literally yeah. do this anytime, right? So it's, yeah. it's a cool thing. Yeah, That's the beauty of it for sure. Yes. Yes. And then all the images and things that we can, that we can use to help, right? Yeah. Is there an issue that you see the most? I would say that I really see a good mix of people with incontinence and people with pain. Absolutely. 
I would say that a lot of people with incontinence also have pain though as well. So they're, you know, to, to say it's one or the other is harder, but the problem is, is that a lot of people with incontinence think that they're weak and that's not always the case. It's like a 50, 50 weak versus tight situation, which is why it's so important to have someone look at it. Because if you think that you're self-treating like, oh, I'm weak, I need to do a bunch of Kegels. You could be making the problem worse and you could be increasing your pain as well. Yeah. I find it's really hard. Like in some, so I have so many patients that come in thinking they have a certain issue, like, oh, this is what's going on. But once we have a look, it's actually not that at all. And that's how I was the first time I was examined too, right? Yeah, it's so interesting. And and yeah, tight pelvic floor can give you so many different issues. It can even give you issues of like structural issues in on your SI joint, right? And then it can reflect onto your lumbar. So you can have lumbar pain, mm -hmm. right? From a tight pelvic floor. Yeah. So which is interesting. It goes to what you were saying to in the beginning, right? How everything is connected. So right. like even hip pain and, and all of that. And there, um yeah, go ahead. There was a study um actually Carolyn Van Dyke and one of our instructors for our levels for pelvic health, she was involved in it. And it was a study about women with back pain. So they went to clinics and they had hundreds of people, women, and they said, do you have pelvic health symptoms? So they came in with back pain. That was their primary concern. And it was over 90% of women had a pelvic health component to their back pain. And that wasn't even what they came to come in for. We, in physio, we say something like, if we we're examining the knee, so we always look at joints above and below. So we look at the ankle, we'll look at the hip. That's how we work. And I always think now like how it's so interesting if you're looking at someone's lower back or their hip, like their pelvic floor is right there. It's the, it's the interconnecting joint, but it's so often just breezed right through. There's so many moving parts there. There's so many tissues and structures that could have issues, but we're, you know, as new physios, we're not trained to go internal or to do anything like that. So we breeze past it. And I think that's a huge gap, a massive gap. Cause I think that there's a lot of people who've come in even to see me with back pain and we've treated their pelvic floor and they've resolved their back pain. Yes. And what is the percentage? I'm sure probably very small of men looking so, for pelvic health. Yeah. So I don't actually see men for pelvic health. I'm just a women's pelvic health person. Um, but I know people that do, and they'd say it's about 30% of their caseload. Okay. That varies well, yeah. obviously from different areas, but um, a lot of that is men who've had issues with prostate, um, post-surgery, all that kind of stuff, um, along with just normal issues of tightness. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I can, that's what I was thinking. Prostate too. And that's another issue too, right? That's not pro not talked about enough. And I'm sure men suffer in silence right. with it as well. Yeah. A but lot of men one... will come in thinking they have a prostate issue too. And really it's just tightness, but they feel a ball. They'll feel like a golf ball when they sit down and they think, oh my goodness, it's my prostate, but actually it's just the muscles. Super wow. tense. Yeah. Super so tense that they actually feel like a knot, like we have a knot on their upper tracks. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's unbelievable. Huh? And the fact that we don't even think that that could be a thing is, is testament how our, 
I think our um, biology and sex education needs to improve. Exactly. Immensely. Yeah. So that sort of is a good segue what you were talking about also before into I know that you do lectures and you're uh, a big advocate for for women and to sort of change a bit the conversation in this area. So like you right. said, things are getting better, but they, obviously we still have a long way to go. I remember during our course and our chats as well, that when you did say that you started calling yourself a feminist, something like that. And when you started doing this work, just out of like just what was happening around you, right? So I would like you to share that ex that experience and how that sort of came to you. Yeah, so um, I wouldn't even call it a lecture. I personally called it a talk because I like to keep yeah. it super casual. And okay, okay. Kind of a casual person in general. Um, the last few that we did were actually around a bonfire, which is awesome because then it gets dark and everyone has that little bit more privacy. So everyone kind of opens up a little bit. That's very um, sweet. I like yeah, that. Yes. Yeah. So I did reserve it just for women. Um, that's like, you know, where my focus is and not to say that men don't have issues as well, but, um, you know, as women, I think that we're told a lot of things are just a normal part of being a woman. Like, oh, you get cramps when you have your period oh, well, you, you know, you can't have sex once you're in menopause um, because it's too dry and things are too painful. That's just normal. Or you're losing bladder control. Oh, well, you know, I laughed so hard I peed. Like, oh, that's funny. Like, it's normal or, and it's not. And it's just kind of having that discussion that you don't have to live with these types of issues that um, even, like I said, painful periods. Like, how often are you told, like, Oh yeah, you just have to live with it. And you have to go to school. You're not sick. Like you're not sick if you're sore. Like you just go. Um yeah, I was exactly I'm and sure you're just you, suffering. Yeah. You probably had this issue like with endo and same with me growing up. And um, had I known that there was any kind of help out there for it, like I was offered just a whole bunch of different painkilling medications that ended up just knocking me out most of the time. Um, which, you know. I didn't mind at the time because I was in so much pain, but like, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, just talking about like, you know, people asking me, is it normal to like queef when you go into downward dog? Is it normal to, um, you know, not be able to control your farts? Like, no, it's no. not like it's common but it's not normal. And that's oh, yes. Can we repeat that please? Yes. Because I say that all the time when I teach yes. my students about pathologies as well. Yeah. If yeah. something so, is common, it does not mean it's normal. If I you always, hear about it all the time and you see it on social media all the time, it still doesn't mean that it's normal. Right. And I, and you have to look for someone that you trust that can help you. I always say there's baseball, people who play baseball professionally get rotator cuff injuries all the time. Would you say that's normal? No, you'd say it's common and you'd fix it. Exactly. So there's a huge difference looking at any kind of issue or something that you're not happy with physiologically or, you know, with your sexual and toilet health, basically like that can be fixed as well. Like that can be, you know, no matter what you've had, if you've had surgeries, if you've had a whole bunch of kids, if you had endometriosis, if you've had all sorts of different conditions, you can still have help with that. And I think that it's just knowing that it's out there. 
another analogy I always make is that the pelvic floor is so interconnected with your emotional and mental state. And I kind of think of it as if you're going up to the top of a building, so it's like a 20 story building and you go up on the ledge of the building and you look over, you're going to feel your butthole clench. Like that's just, even thinking about it, you kind of lift that blueberry with your butt. And I think if you're constantly in that kind of a fight or flight, stress, trauma situation, you're going to hold tension there. So if you think about that's a stressful situation, you're going to clench a little bit, but imagine doing that all the time and tension breeds weakness. So it's kind of like a cycle where more and more. So it's about working through that as well. And, um, you know, as pelvic physios, we do what's within our scope as far as that's concerned, but we also refer out to sex therapists and people who have a bit more psych background, depending on the level of trauma and what the issues are. Yeah. I always, yeah. Talk about how, um, like if you're walking around with your shoulders, like right up on your ears, cause you're so tense. Right. Yeah. And then in the end of the day, you do something about like, you'll take a bath with Epsom salts or some people will have a glass of wine, like whatever it is. Right. Or you just like sort of massage yourself or have some, or have a massage. And then you feel like, Oh, that relaxed. Right. You're yeah. aware of that. It's such a, a physical sensation. We're all aware of that. We can see it. If you pass yourself on like a, a window or a mirror, you see your shoulders up to your ears. It's going to be very obvious. The pelvic floor, it's not. Mm-hmm. If you do not create that awareness and start thinking about it, it will take a long time and that snowball is going to catch up with you at some point, right? And then right. you're going to yeah. be in a bigger trouble than you would be if you addressed it earlier, right? I think there's also a fear too. Like there's a fear around it. Like, well, if I let my pelvic floor go, I'm going to pee myself. Or if I yes. let my pelvic floor go, then I'm going to fart. And I'm like, you're not going to fart. You're <laughs> not going to pee yourself. You need to let it relax. Or if you need to practice first by sitting on the toilet, that's where you practice first. If you're really worried about that, but things are built to hold, like it's not just all going to fall out. If you stop squeezing everything constantly, Yeah, your body is made to work and you just need, sometimes you need to help it learn how to be a little bit more functional and not overwork. Right. Yes. Yes. And there, if there are um, more serious emotional um, traumas behind the the issue, then it's obviously we encourage you to address it too, right? Because it oh, will absolutely. be challenging, and there is yeah. so much trauma from even just that that incident that you described of someone just falling on the water or something and getting a scratch and and having to hide it or whatever. And it can cause a moment that you're not super conscious about. Right. But it's there in the, in the back of your, of your mind. And, and if you don't address it again, it will just get worse and worse. So how do you feel these chats? So around the around the fire and you're talking to these women and what are the, the things that you guys talk about? How do you feel that your work is around this um, more sort of, I don't know if I could call it like an activism, but it's almost right when you're trying to get women to like love their bodies and get over some some traumas and and how do you feel? How that? How does that work? Well, like, to be honest, it really starts with education. So just talking about, like, I've had talks where I'm with a group of uh, medical professionals 
And so they kind of have an idea as to where I'm coming from. And then we go into a bit more detail about personal experiences and how to deal with patients um, or how to direct patients in certain ways um, or how to help them just physically. And then I've had other groups with people who literally didn't know what a pelvic floor was. So first we have to start with, okay, what is this? What is its function? And you go from there. And then everyone literally just talks about their own experiences with different like medical professionals with different family members who say, no, you don't talk about that. Or mm-hmm. no, we don't, we don't go there. All that just happens. Um, that's normal. And we talk about the things that we can help with and, and what kinds of things I, I could personally do to help, but also that it's really important to find a pelvic physio who you really click with. I don't need you to see me, but I need you to see someone. So if you find that there's a better personality match out there, then 100% do that. I've seen a handful of different pelvic physios personally, and there's definitely a certain model that I click with a little bit better. And I find that that's probably the most important part. And it's also just talking to women to let them know what's out there and where they can, you know, further their knowledge in these areas. Like maybe they're not ready yet. I've had a lot of orthopedic patients who say, you know, I really should come see you for pelvic health, but like, I'm not quite there. That's fine. That's fine. You come when you're ready. It's never a forced issue. And it's like with anything else, if you go when you're not ready, you're probably not going to get the most out of it. Yes. Or you could create yet another trauma around that situation that you, that you don't want. You don't want to pile up. And dealing with patients who have that kind of trauma, you need to make sure that you build that rapport that you're not a threat. You know, like even if you're just doing stuff externally, some people have that touch sensitivity even on their legs. So, you know, it's building into that trust before we can even, you know, approach that with some people. Sometimes it takes a lot longer and that's fine too. And that's why virtual has been great too, because a lot of people like me were afraid of the internal portion and they come to that first meeting worried. And that's the last thing we want. So when you start with an internal assessment, then you can get everything out you need to say, um, we can see movements and things, but you don't have to worry about that internal portion. And you can see if that physio is right for you. Oh, that's a great advice. Yeah, especially now that we're doing everything online. That's a perfect, because I had that question for you too about the online treatment, because I remember you sharing how you were surprised. I think we were sharing both of our experience, right? How even in the Pilates teaching as well, I was surprised of how much I could see and correct right. and help my clients online. Yeah. And you said the same thing. And it really surprised me too, because I'm like, oh my God, a physio, not just a physio, but like a pelvic health physio that yeah. can do something online and you said that you if you if it's okay for you to share you actually never saw her in your clinic right you did from beginning to a progression I don't know if if she is um like completely fine now but are still seeing you but if you don't mind sharing that experience that'd be great because I think especially like you said I think two situations if you're scared or wary and you don't want to I think also there's a fear of oh if if they are gonna do internal and then I have to say I want to say no how do I do that that's probably something that that goes on people's mind I can see that happening and also if someone from that is far from you yeah. You're not in, yeah, you're not like right in 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 the city and For you sure. could have now if you're doing this work you could have people from anywhere in the world basically, you know? Yeah, and that goes both ways. So you can find anyone in the world mm-hmm. who you want 
you know, like I said, like if there's a certain social media presence that really vibes with you, then you're like, okay, maybe I'll give this person a call 100%. So there was a patient that I had and well, there's a few now because it's been going on for a while um, that I've treated from start to, I'm going to say finish lightly because I don't believe that anyone's really ever finished and I don't ever fully discharge people in the sense that I'm still in contact with them. They're welcome to contact me at any point because public health is not something that's, you know, going to be just one and done and you never have to revisit it again. It's kind of like a maintenance and to make sure that you're still on the right track, especially with all your life changes, every time your life changes, um, usually that's going to affect your public health as well. But gold standard for pelvic health assessment is definitely an internal. I'll just preface it by saying that it's the easiest way for us to figure out what's going on specifically. But I have had patients um, since pandemic started where we started treatment um, virtually and we were able to progress them all the way through to they're on their own now, they call me if they need me kind of situation, but that's such a cool experience. And with some people, it probably would be slightly quicker if we could see stuff in person just to make sure that we know what's going on. But there's so much we can get from subjective history that we really can develop a worthwhile treatment plan. Now we keep in contact with those people to make sure that nothing's getting worse in the meantime. And then, like you said, like we can see movements, we can see patterns, we can see flexibility, and even we can test strength over virtual, which is great. Um, education really goes a long way. So yeah, I found that we've had quite a few successes so far virtually. And I've been honestly, like I am probably one of those people who are surprised by it too, because I'm like, oh, how's this going to work? Like, I really need to feel what's going on. But um, you give people the tools and you can do so much more on your own than maybe you thought you could. That's so cool. Yeah, that that really surprised me in a in a very good way. And um, do you do you teach them how to do internal work themselves? Is that part of the the virtual training? Um, only if it's something or that not maybe really. they're yeah. If it's something that they're interested, obviously, like we don't do any kind of like I don't look at their pelvic floor virtually or anything like that. So if it's something that they're interested in, they're like, so should I have a finger in there when I'm relaxing? It's totally up to them. So I would never, unless it was like a perennial massage, then maybe I could describe it to someone who um, is about to go through birth or something. And they, that's something that we discuss as part of their treatment. Otherwise, usually it's a lot more, you know, mindful movements, connecting that pelvic floor with your movements or just that relaxation component. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot you can you can do with that. That's super interesting. I was gonna ask you to describe because we also had a, a talk about how there's such a big misconception of what the the parts are called. I, I hate the expression lady parts. I right. don't like that very much, but I kind of don't have another way to say it. But our, um, <laughs> so like the vagina and the, you know, all of that, like what is, what is each thing? And then where is the pelvic floor in relationship to all of that? Okay. So let's start there. Yeah. So the pelvic floor is, I like to think of it as like a dime in between four points. So if you feel in front, you feel 
where your pubic bone is. So out front between your legs, that's point number one. The next two points are your bones that you sit on. So you feel them under your butt. And then your fourth point is your tailbone. So between those four points, there's muscles and connective tissue that hold, basically hold your organs from falling out from the bottom of your pelvis. They also go around your sexual organs and your, you know, where you pee and poo. That's where they're surrounding and they're making sure that that functions normally and adequately. So as far as women are concerned, the vagina, people call it like the vagina is the birth canal. The vagina is not what you look at. So the vagina is where a penis goes. It's where a finger goes. It's the internal component. So everything that you see externally is called the vulva. So that's what we refer to it as. Now there's a bunch of different portions like your clitoris and everything. But like, if you're talking about it, it's your, if you're looking at it externally, it's your anus and it's your vulva. Internally, it's your rectum and it's your vagina. That's probably like the simplest way to put it. Excellent. Yeah. Because when you say, right, you're doing something virtually, there is no way someone can just open their legs in front of the camera and you see their pelvic floor. Like that is not going to happen. And you also can't see their vagina because the vagina is at the inside. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I just think that like when people always say, oh, it's my vagina, it's my vagina. It's like, no, 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 it's your vulva. And I always think like vulva is such a pretty word too. Like I don't know why we weren't taught that. Like when I was growing up, my mom called it a tush tush. <laughs> and like, I think that like most of my friends, moms called it something weird. And like, they called it, uh, I think they called it like people's names and stuff, but then they'd meet that person in real life. And they'd be like, Oh my gosh, you're named after my lady parts. Yes. Like what's happening. But yeah. So I remember being called calling it a tush tush. And then someone told me to sit on my tush once like in class, which obviously means your butt. Yeah. And I had no idea what they're talking about. And I was trying to sit backwards on a chair and they're like, no, sit on your bum. And I was like, you know, in JK, confused. Oh my God. About educating our children, like from the beginning, like educate kids with what the real terms are. Like it's your penis and testicles. It's not your like anaconda. Like that comes with your life. You don't need to be calling it that now. Exactly. Can you go through that? I know we had such a a funny conversation, but it's a serious thing how a lot of the names or nicknames, let's say, that we give for um, vagina or vulva are more um, derogative. Right. And the ones that we use for penis are like empowering Yes. Anaconda names. Yes. Yeah. Can you like speak to that? This conversation could be like a whole episode on its own. I know. But basically <laughs> it comes down to like, not only would someone call it a pussy, but then they'd also refer to someone as a pussy, like meaning they're a wimp or they're girly or they're, you know, not confident or something like that. So it's not even the word sometimes it's how you then use it. Or if you say, you know, people using the C word which I hate and mm-hmm. I'm not going to use. Mm-hmm. But, um, and they use that derogatory towards other people saying you're a C word. That's probably like one of the worst swear words someone could use. Yeah. And things like beef curtains, I've heard people call it. Or when people say broad, say, oh, that broad over there. A lot of people don't know what broad actually means is it's a slab of meat with a hole in it. So... When people I have say, no idea. Yeah. So it's extremely derogatory. And I 
hate when people use that word. And I almost wish I didn't know what it meant because it just bothers me so much. And most people don't, and most people don't mean it like that, but like, that's what it comes down to. Whereas like, you know, like we just said, like men can call it their anaconda or like something that's, you know, powerful and women are the meek ones that are overtaken. And that's just kind of reminding you, you need to take back your sexuality and it's okay if women are super horny. It's okay if they want sex all the time. It's okay to masturbate. It's okay for all of that. Whereas like with men, it's like, oh, you just, you know, they're masturbating all the time and they have no shame around it. It's like, why do we feel that way? We shouldn't because we have sexual organs as well. We have needs and, you know, it's no different in my mind. Yes, absolutely. It's like um, hormones in men make them like masculine and powerful and strong and muscular, right? And dominating. And hormones in women just make us like crazy and big. Yeah. Like there's something wrong with that. Yeah. I know. And And that's the other thing is like there's so many different studies that say, you know, a man acts a certain way and you're like, oh, he's just being, you know, he's running his company. He's being really serious. He's a businessman. A woman acts acts the exact same way and she's a bitch yeah like you said we're like she's a bitch oh well she's in a bad mood she's a bitch whereas like if a guy was in a bad mood you'd be like oh whatever yeah he's just a dude he's just like that no like we and that's the other thing like so many studies scientific studies the subjects are all men and even when i was in university they'd ask for subjects for studies and it was always all men because they couldn't control for where a woman was in her cycle so it just goes to show you that a lot of even our medical research isn't necessarily directed towards women. Wow. And that's something obviously that is, it needs to change. It is slightly getting better, but because it is so hard to control for where women are in their cycle, it's hard to say why certain things happened. If certain hormones were higher than others or mm-hmm. if they're menstruating or what have you. Yeah. Because but we no do have a lot putting- of changes. During yes, those of course. Yeah, which needs to needs to be addressed and respected and taken into account for sure. There's probably not enough time, energy, money that people want to put into a research to organize that because it's more complicated. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I like I said, it's kind of with anything with research. Like it takes time. Everything just takes mm-hmm. time. It takes time to get funding. It takes time to get these studies going, and it takes time to get like actual tangible results especially if they're a longitudinal study, if they're over 15 years, if they're whatever, if they're a heart study, sometimes those are really long studies. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's just, that's somewhere that the research does need to focus a little bit more in my opinion anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I think this is a perfect place to wrap it up. That was super interesting, Lane. Thank you so much. Oh, and thanks so much for having me. Yes, it's really fun. Of course, super fun. It's nice to see you again. And I would like to finish with if you have um, like a person or a book or a saying, anything that has like inspired you on your career or your personal life that you would like to share with the listeners. Yeah. So um, I talked about briefly Anita Lambert, who I work with now currently. She has an Instagram, Holistic Health Physio, and she has a ton of resources on there. She offers classes um, and she also does a podcast. It's called To Birth and Beyond, and it's with Jesse Mundell, who is actually a postnatal fitness specialist. And she does um, courses for yoga and Pilates instructors. So that's Excellent. something else that I thought was really valuable to look at. 
Um, but also my Instagram is trail physio. Yes, please. <laughs> Sorry, let's, let's say that again. Trail physio Millbrook. And we work out of Millbrook, Ontario, but we do offer virtual appointments. Um, but yeah, I'd say definitely if you follow any of those people and you look at who they're following, there's so many resources out there. There are people who talk strictly about endometriosis and different conditions regarding that. But yeah, I would definitely encourage to educate yourself as much as possible because I think that that's, you know, the first step for sure. Excellent. And people can find you at your clinic, right? Yep. And yep. also your new your new place now that you're at. Yes. I'm working in Peterborough as well, two days a week with Anita. So that's at Holistic Health Physio. Um, and which is super exciting. It's kind of like one of those full circle moments where you are scared to go to pelvic physio, then you become pelvic physio yourself. And then that person becomes your mentor. So it's been really special for me. I'm really excited. That's great. I am so excited for you too. And I hope that we can keep in touch so we can, I can see where you're going with that. Good luck. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much too. It was super fun. Oh, you guys, I love that chat so much. I hope you guys did too. Like I mentioned in the beginning, if you or someone you know feel like there's something a little off around your pelvic health, don't Google symptoms and solutions. Don't brush it off because someone told you it was normal. Remember, common is not normal and you don't have to suffer in silence. So feel free to check the notes for the episode for Lane's contact. And you know that I'm always here to help guide you to the best path as well. So message or email me anytime. And you can always just find someone online that you feel comfortable with that's around your area that is convenient because that's important as well for good discipline. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. Please be safe. And I'll see you next Tuesday. This podcast wouldn't be up and running if it wasn't for the help of a few very special people. You can find my special thanks to them all at myfertilityjourney.ca. And if you want to keep in touch, find me on Instagram on at myfertilityjourney.ca. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, leave a review to support the show, and share it with anyone you think might benefit from it. Love you all and I'll see you soon.